Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. If you are joining us today for the first time, we began back in September going through every book of the Bible, reading through the Bible. We've combined a couple of weeks, um, but we've been reading through, and hopefully you're through Isaiah. That was a lot of reading, wasn't it? Well, I hate to tell you, Jeremiah's not going to be any better. This week, you're going to be looking at Jeremiah, and I hope that you've gotten the notes. And if you've, if you've missed a week or so, you can catch up on all of them. We have them available. We even have a notebook that you can put them in that are in the offices over there. I think they're $10. They just cost recovery, but they'll hold all of it. It says the book on the front. If you want one, they're in the office afterwards. But this week, you're going to be looking in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the name means whom Jehovah appoints. And God called Jeremiah, even before he was born, literally, and to be a spokesman and to bring the last appeal before the judgment was going to come to Israel. He preached and preached and preached about repentance and the fact that God was going to allow Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to come in and take over and destroy Jerusalem and Judea and Judah, not Judea, Judah, if they did not repent. And so he preached and preached. He appears on the scene about 100 years after Isaiah. He's nicknamed the weeping prophet because he cried over his own messages to the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judah. Other prophets that were around about the same time as Jeremiah were Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Jeremiah warned five different kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Jehoaz, and Zedekiah, the only good king, and that was the first one, Josiah. The rest of them thought that Jeremiah had lost his mind or was insane or a pessimist. The book of Jeremiah is a a, a very touching book in the Old Testament, but it's difficult, I shouldn't tell you this, it's difficult to read. And the reason is, it's not in chronological order. It's in theological order. Because Jeremiah will refer some, back to some kind of history moment and speak about God, what God was telling to do. And they're not necessarily in chronological order. They go back and forth between various historical events. But each section usually deals with the same thing. The coming judgment of God if you don't repent. Now, Lamentations, there's only five chapters in Lamentations. And It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a lament. It's lamenting the fact that that, uh, Judah has been captured, have been exiled. It's a funeral dirge. It's interesting, though. It's actually five different poems, all of them 
of kind of a funeral dirge. And it's interesting because every chapter, except chapter three, has 22 verses. It's written in, in kind of an acrostic form, which Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters in it. Now in chapter three, there are three verses for every Hebrew letter. So there's 66 verses, but it's written in an acrostic form. And basically the message is that Israel has sinned from A to Z, from Alpha to Tau, the Hebrew alphabet, and that they are responsible for the reason that God brought judgment. Of course, we know that happened in 586 B.C., and Jeremiah witnessed some of the most tragic things when the city of Jerusalem was besieged. You'll read some graphic things that happens during war. He, you see all the human emotions of sorrow and penitence and grief and suffering. The book of Lamentations is called or nicknamed the Wailing Wall of the Bible because it's just a sad, sad book. But even in the midst of all of this, we find some little gems, little diamonds here that still can be appropriate for you and me. And today, one of those is in Jeremiah chapter 18. I want to read the first six verses. That's where we're going to camp today. And I want us to talk about going from ruin to reclamation your life, you may think your life has been ruined. I've got some great news for you. God can reclaim that. And God can regenerate that. God can change your life. If you're watching us online, if you see this on television later, God can change you today. Your life, even though you may think it's in shambles, even though you may think it has been ruined, I've got some great news for you. God's in the salvage business. God can salvage your life. Verse one says, of chapter 18, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Back in the 1960s, there was a man in Spain who was well-known in Spain as a bullfighter, and his name was Louis the Conceited. He was well-known, of, of a notorious bullfighter. Well, he planned his biggest venture of his career. His plan was to parachute out of an airplane down into the ring to fight the awaiting bull. The crowd got there. Everybody was anticipating this magnificent event. Louis in the airplane, puts his parachute on. They're waiting below. He jumps out of the airplane. Everything's going fine. There was only one problem. His calculations were off. And instead of landing in the arena where all the crowd was cheering, he landed a mile and a half from there 
in the shitty dump. (laughs) Maybe your life feels that way. Maybe you thought by this time in my life, I would be here. And maybe you feel like you're in the shitty dump. The lessons that Jeremiah learns here are for Israel. And God is saying, Israel, I've had so many plans for you and and you're like clay in my hands, but you would not listen. Now you would think, well, that is for Israel. And yes, it is. However, the clay and the potter are also carried over in the New Testament. And so I believe there's a lesson for us personally also from this because even in Romans 9 verse 21 it says, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? We are all clay in the potter's hands. And so I want us to think briefly about what this means for you. And and I want you to see the good news for those of you who think your life is ruined, who think I don't have any chance, anything. God can't use me anymore because I've messed up too greatly. This could be the best news you've ever heard today. I first want you to notice what Jeremiah saw. He saw the desire, what I'm gonna call the desire and design for the pottery. In other words, God's sovereignty. Now, God tells Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. And when he goes to the potter's house, he's going to learn a lesson. He's going to see a potter in action. Many of you have seen pictures like this or or films like this where they take a lump of clay and they begin to work with that clay. And that's the picture that, that Jeremiah is being used, that God is showing Jeremiah. He's saying, this is your life. This is the nation. This is your life. You are clay in the potter's hands. And I want you to keep that visual in your mind as we think about, it's amazing to me that the creator of the universe who spoke it into being, who holds the universe together by his omnipotent power, The same God actually cares about you personally. Now think about that for a moment. Do you realize how small you are? You realize how small we are compared to the universe? We don't even even rate microscopic size as compared to the universe. But God cares for you and me and he he has a plan for you. You're not an accident, regardless of what your parents said. You're not not a surprise. You're not an accident. You may have been a surprise to them, but I guarantee you God knew when you were going to be born and he has a plan for you. God's plan for every person. I I can tell you what God's plan for every person is. For one, he wants every person to be saved. He wants every person to be forgiven of their sins, to be cleansed of their sins, to be born again, to be saved. You want proof? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not everybody's going to repent. Not everyone's going to come to believe. But God's heart is that all of us be saved. And that's why he sent his son to the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. It's God's will for our lives, not only to to be saved, to be born again, but to be sanctified. The scripture says, this is the will of God for you, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. God's plan for every person is to live a, a godly, moral, clean life. And once you've been saved, to represent him. God's plan for every person includes his will. Did you know God has a will for you? I hope there's some young people listening to me today. I can remember as a young person, I I remember the day I gave my life to Christ, but it wasn't long after that I began to say, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do for you with my life? But today you don't hear many people talking about that. Oh, I'm just going to follow my passion. I'm going to play all of my life. Well, God has a plan for you. God's plan for you and me may not be the same. We don't all have the same vocation. We don't all have the same gifts in church. We don't have the same gifts in the body of Christ. But Ephesians 5, 17 says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What I want you to see is that no matter how much time you've got left on this earth, God's got a plan for you. God has a will for your life. Amen? A lot of people don't seem to seek God's will. They don't take it seriously. I read about a man who was riding a motorcycle along a country road. He stopped on that road to talk to a preacher that was standing out in the churchyard. The preacher asked him, said, son, where are you going? He said, I'm going to town to sell my motorcycle. The preacher said, well, you ought to say I'm riding into town to sell my motorcycle if it be the Lord's will. Well, the guy just laughed at him, rolled his eyes, and he roared roared off toward town, and he thought to himself, sell my motorcycle if it be the Lord's will. Lord's will or not, I'm selling my motorcycle. Well, later that afternoon, the preacher saw this same fellow coming down the road, and he was stumbling and staggering. His pants were torn, exposing skinned knees. His arm was in a sling. His shirt was half torn off of his back. His hair was a mess. His elbows and forearms were covered in blood. And the preacher said, son, what happened to you? He said, well, after I left you, I was on my way to town and a big storm came up. I tried to outrun the storm, but the rain began to fall like big lumps of lead. And I I tried to outrun it. I, I rounded a curb. I hit some loose gravel. Motorcycle slid out from under me. I skidded more than 100 feet on the pavement. I managed to get up and walk and walk to a nearby farmhouse. And as I walked up on the porch, a frightened young woman pointed a shotgun in my direction. So I started running and she started shooting. I ran through the brush and briars got all scratched up. And as I stood there picking buckshot out of my backside, lightning struck a tree and a tree fell on me. The preacher said, well, Where are you going now? And the man said, I'm going home if it be the Lord's will. (laughs) You need to take God's will seriously. But then right here in the middle of this parable or what Jeremiah is learning in the house of the potter, it takes a tragic turn because all of a sudden it becomes a flawed vessel. 
It becomes ruined. It's a marred vessel. I, I, I think he sees the defiance and damage in the process. We see man's sin. You see, Jeremiah was to identify with this flawed vessel. Time after time, God had told Israel to, to follow him, and time after time, they did not do that. How many times have we failed to follow God's will for our life? We've been defiant. God, I know it's your will. I'm not going to do it. And what do we do? We wind up damaging our lives because of our defiance. You may feel like Charlie Brown who was complaining that his ball team, his baseball team was always losing. And Lucy tries to console him and says, remember Charlie Brown, you learn more from your defeats than you do from your victories. Charlie Brown said, that makes me the smartest man in the world. <laughs> Everyone sooner or later spends some time in the land of failure. We've defied the Lord, we've disobeyed God, and we wind up damaging our own life. That's the picture that's shown to Jeremiah. Even in the hand of God. Now some people are living in the land of failure and you may never notice it. They may not ever let on that they're just as miserable as they can be because they have everything that the world has to offer. But then there are some that it's pretty obvious that they have ended up in the land of failure like the little girl who cut her hair without her mom knowing about it and hid the hair that she cut off in a drawer. And her mom said, what in the world have you done with your hair? And she said, mom, how did you know I hid that hair in a drawer? <laughs> well, it doesn't take long to see people who've been damaged. J. Vernon McGee tells about a little boy playing in the mud down by the, the creek. And he was making a man out of mud. And he got him almost finished Still lacked one arm. And his mom said, hey, we, we got to go to town. You have a doctor's appointment. Well, mom, I'm not done. Come on, you got to go right now. Well, I'm almost finished. Come on right now, we got to go. So he left his creation. After he went to the doctor, they were walking down the street and they happened to see a man who was missing an arm. A little boy looked at him and looked at him and looked at him. Finally, he walked over to him. He said, why did you leave before I finished you? We could all say that to God. Or he would say it to us. This isn't how I planned for you to be finished. There's so many examples in the Bible of man's sin and failure. In the Old Testament, you can look at Abraham who lied about his wife on two separate occasions. And then later his wife tells him to go sleep with the maid and they have a baby. But God came again to confirm the covenant that he made with Abraham. Another example is Moses who at the age of 40 attempted to help a fellow Jewish man or Israelite and he, he, he attempted to take it into his own hand and he murdered an Egyptian taskmaster. The murder was discovered. Moses fled in fear Spent 40 years in the wilderness and then at the age of 80, God sent him back to be the deliverer of the Hebrew nation. 
We can look at David who committed adultery and then arranged the death of his mistress's husband. But God seemed to give him a second chance so that David went on to pen further hymns and continued building a kingdom and give God the glory. In the New Testament, you can see Simon Peter who cursed and, and denied the Lord the night before he was crucified. But then you go to John chapter 21 and you find the restoration of Peter and God recommissioning him. You see, sometimes even in the hand of the potter, we mess up our lives. We mar the vessel, the handiwork of God. And I would dare say that most of us in here could relate to Louisa Fletcher who wrote, I wish that there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Well, I got some great news. There is such a place. It's not a land. It's a savior. His name is Jesus. It's a place of beginning again, a place to be made new. And so that is a place that God wanted Jeremiah to also see because you also see the devotion and the deliverance of the potter. You see God's salvation. You see God taking something that is broken and marred and ruined and he remakes it. That's what salvation is. Salvation doesn't warm us over. He makes us new. He starts over. A profound statement of God's grace. The potter made it again. In reality... In the matters of life, there's only two realities, the potter and the clay. God is the potter, we're the clay. Amen. The potter, when he sees our imperfections, he doesn't throw us over on the scrap heap. He looks at our faults and he restores us. He renews us, he reclaims us, he remakes us. He gives us a new purpose. The word made in verse three and verse four means to manufacture or to make. And again means to go back to the beginning. And that's exactly what God does. He balls us up and he starts over. He makes us new. You get another shot. You get another chance. Only this time you are cleansed of your sin and the Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't have to stay where you were. Some of you this morning are probably thinking, I've just messed up so badly. But here's a beautiful picture of going from ruin to being remade. Elizabeth Elliot said, to Jeremiah's surprise, instead of casting the now marred vessel on the scrap heap at his side and taking a new lump of clay which will not thwart his will, the potter takes the broken pieces, removes the offending substance, and out of the old clay makes a new vessel. J. Wilbur Chapman said that clay is not attractive in itself. But when the hands of the potter touch it and the thought of the potter is brought to bear upon it and the plan of the potter is worked out in it and through it, then there's real transformation. Think of what God did for us. Think what he's done with us. Gene Reasoner wrote a song a years ago that expresses this truth. 
It goes like this. Empty and broken, I came back to him. A vessel unworthy, so scarred with sin. But he did not despair. He started over again. And I bless the day he didn't throw the clay away. He is the potter and I am the clay. Molded in his image, he wants me to stay. But when I stumble and fall and my vessel breaks, he just picks up the pieces. He doesn't throw the clay away. Over and over, he molds me and makes me into his likeness. He fashions the clay, a vessel of honor. I am today all because Jesus didn't throw the clay away. Aren't you glad he didn't throw you away? In fact, in the New Testament, Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The, the phrase earthen vessels means clay pots. We are clay pots. Most of us cracked pots. <laughs> Flawed. And he doesn't throw us away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He doesn't warm you over in your sin. He cleanses you of your sin, makes you new, spiritually gives you new life. Amen. Brand new life. I don't know the author of this poem the God of one more chance. A man named Peter stumbled bad, lost all the love he ever had, fouled his own soul spring, cursed and swore and all that sort of thing. He got another chance and then he preached the gospel to many men. Boy goes wrong, the same as he, who fed swine in a far country. He seemed beyond the utmost reach of hearts that pray of lips that preach. Give him another chance and see how beautiful his life may be. Paul cast the young Mark aside, but Barnabas, his metal tried, called out his courage, roused his vim, and made a splendid man of him. Then Paul, near death, longed for a glance of Mark, who'd had another chance. King David, one dark day, fell down, lost every jewel from his crown. He had another chance and found his kingly self redeemed, recrowned. Now lonely souls and countless throngs are lifted by his timeless songs. For fallen souls arise, advance. Ours is the God of one more chance. An elderly woman at a prayer meeting one night, in her prayer, said these words. It really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. Well, in that meeting was an itinerant Bible teacher by the name of Adelaide Pollard. She was deeply discouraged because she'd been unable to raise the funds to go back to Africa to do missionary service. But she was so moved by this older woman's sincere and dedicated request to God that she went home and she meditated on Jeremiah 18, verses 3 and 4. 
And before retiring that evening, Adelaide Pollard completed the writing of all four stanzas of a hymn that was published in 1907. Some of you probably already figured out what it is because the first verse says this, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Help me finish it. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting yielded and still. You see, God says, give me your clay. Give me your life. And when you give God your life, he says, I'll bring treasure out of trash. I'll bring jewels out of junk. I'll bring glory out of garbage. I'll bring riches out of rubbish. I'll bring diamonds out of debris. I'll bring righteousness out of riffraff. I'll bring worship out of waste. I'll bring majesty out of mess. I'll bring deliverance to the drug addict. I'll bring praise out of a prostitute. I'll bring hallelujah out of a homosexual. God builds his church with misfits and throwaways. And God says, give me a murderer like Moses. I'll turn him into a liberator. You give me a dreamer like Joseph. I'll turn him into a co-commander over Egypt. Give me a captive like Daniel. I'll turn him into a prayer warrior. Give me a shepherd boy like David. I'll turn him into a king. Give me a child like Jeremiah. I'll turn him into a prophet. Give me a fisherman like Peter. I'll turn him into an apostle. Give me a tax collector like Zacchaeus. I'll turn him into a philanthropist, disciple. Give me a persecutor like Paul. I'll turn him into a preacher. Give me a prostitute like Mary Magdalene. I'll turn him into a faithful housekeeper. Give me an adulterer like the woman at the well. I'll turn her into an evangelist. God says, all I need is a piece of clay. Got some sound? Nothing. A formless mass with no direction. No purpose, no meaning. We are like clay, pliable, movable, moldable. In the hands of the Creator, we can be changed, made beautiful, given life. Nothing becomes something extraordinary. The transformation takes time. The process is tedious, difficult, painstaking. But soon, we see the beginnings of something wonderful. The formless takes shape. The unrecognizable finds its identity. The meaningless is given purpose. From nothing comes beauty. We are like clay, each piece different than the next, given unlimited potential in the hands of the potter. I hope you could hear the message that was there because God won't give up on you. God won't toss you out of the scrap heap. God will not dismiss you as a lost cause 
or discard you as hopeless. God takes the clay that we yield to him and he molds it, rebuilds a life. Maybe you think, well, I've blown it, God. I've messed up. The good news is from this day forward, God's got a plan for you. He's not the God that rubs your nose in your past. He's the God that says, I got a new plan for you. Many years ago in Florence, Italy, a sculptor threw out a piece of marble. He couldn't make anything out of it. He said, I kept trying, but nothing would come out of it. And other sculptors heard about it. They tried to work with it, but eventually they all gave up. And this piece of marble laid on the scrap heap for 40 years. Until one day, a man by the name of Michelangelo came by and spotted it. He saw something in it no one else could see. So he took it to his shop, his studio, and friends came by and said, what is this? He said, this is King David. And today when you go to Florence and you see the statue of David, it's out of that piece of thrown away marble that he picked off that trash heap. God looks down at this old world and he sees a bunch of clay. You and I are just blobs of clay, but God wants to mold us into something that's very beautiful. And maybe you've never met Jesus as your Savior. You've, you've tried religion. You've tried all the religious things. But I'm telling you, it doesn't change your life. Only when you ask God to forgive you, you've been marred. You've been broken. God will forgive you. And he will take what Jesus has done on the cross, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. He will take that and he will cleanse us and cover us with the righteousness of Jesus and he makes you something brand new. And you can have that today if you give your life to Christ. I've, I've never been at a potter's wheel and, and done the clay. It looks like fun to me. But I have eight grandchildren and I've played with a lot of Play-Doh. <laughs> Made all kinds of creations with Play-Doh. But I know something about Play-Doh is that if you leave it out, it gets as hard as a rock. When all the moisture leaves it, it's no longer pliable. Sometimes we get to the place where we defy the Lord the older we get, the longer we've been in the, in the Lord's work or we've served the Lord or maybe, maybe you've taken a wrong turn and your heart has grown hard. It's no longer pliable. You don't ever hear the sweet bidding of the Holy Spirit or the sensitivity of God leading you to do something because you've grown hard. You know what? God says if you'll just turn from your sin and you'll just... Confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9. He said, he'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't let your heart be anything but pliable to what God wants you to do. See, God's in the salvage business. He doesn't throw any of you away. He wants every one of you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? 
And maybe you're here and, or you're watching us online or maybe you're even seeing us on television. You have never received Christ as your Savior. Oh, you may have grown up in church. I grew up in church. And you may know a lot about church stuff. But until you surrender your life and say, Lord, here I am the clay. I want you to mold me and make me after your will. Father, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. I pray, God, that you would bring them to you, that you would cleanse them of their sin, that they might find peace and assurance and forgiveness, that you make them brand new. It's amazing, God, that you pull us right out of the salvage yard and you make something beautiful of our life. There are people within the sound of my voice who feel like they're too far gone. Would you let them know that you're reaching down to them right now with your loving hand, pulling them up out of the mire and making them something new. Lord, I pray for Christians who, for whatever reason, they're not pliable anymore. They're not listening anymore. Lord, would you not, we know that we don't have to be saved again, but would you just renew us? I pray for those that need a church home. Lord, this is just a big place for, this is a big pottery barns. All this is, God. None of us in here perfect. You're still making us. I pray for those that need to be baptized who need to be obedient. And so Lord, today we, we put ourselves on the potter's wheel. We ask that you mold us and make us. If you're watching online, if you would simply hit the connect button or I need prayer button, or you can text the word living hope, all one word, living hope, to 474747. Somebody will respond to you. They will respond to you online too. Or maybe you're in this room. There's that communication card that says my decision today. You can fill that out and drop it in the box as you leave or you can text us. Living Hope 474747. Somebody will respond to you. We just want you to know Jesus. We want to help you. If there's any commitment at all that you need to make, please let us hear from you. And Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for molding us and shaping us. We commit ourselves to you right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.